welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy, and the time has come at last to judge the saga of Gunnar of Keldugnu. Are you ready, John? <laughs> the time has come at last. We actually covered this one in two short episodes. You know, we barely talked for two and a half hours on this one. <laughs> two and a half Don't make hours. it sound like we just finished Ale Saga here. I mean, I look, first of all, two and a half hours is a lot for this saga. But if I'm being fair here, I'm not excited about this saga in particular. That's not what I, well, I'm Well, I mean, there about. might be a reason for that. Oh, oh, trust me, we'll get there. Uh, I'm excited, actually, because the saga of Gunnar of Keldegnup is the last saga of our third quarter. Mm-hmm. John, we have been reviewing sagas since 2013. Yep. Our first quarter ran from 2013 to 2015. Our second quarter ran from 2015 to 2017. See, that's that's a nice pace, right? Two years mm-hmm. per quarter, really churning through the sagas. Yeah, yeah, we were. We um, were. But I, I want to remind you, though, lest you think I'm going to keep that review of dates going, that we've been in the third quarter of Saga Thing since the fall of 2017. Mm-hmm. And it is now 2022. Yeah. I've been living in Mississippi for nearly four years now, and we're only just now setting out to judge the final saga of the third quarter. So hmm. you're saying we've been dropping the ball a bit here. Uh, well, I mean, one could say that, but I'm not saying that. Uh, we've actually been very busy in the third quarter. We've covered a lot of material, and I think we really hit our stride in terms of covering the sagas in a bit more depth the way that we want to. Um I'm fine with the pace. I just think it's shocking to look back and see the year 2017 next to our last quarter court. That's crazy. <laughs> no, I hear you. Um, I mean, we can cover all the stuff we've been up to in the third quarter when we get to the quarter court episode, uh, yeah. which, I mean, should be coming at you a week or two after this episode goes up. Um, so, you know, we'll be able to blather on about our excuses then. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, speaking of which, uh, how do you feel about starting up the old saga thing and calling the saga of Gunnar of Keldegnup to account? Oh, I feel great about that. Excellent. Anyway, as always, we'll be judging the saga in the following categories. Best bloodshed, body count, nicknames, notable witticisms, outlawry, thingmen, and final ratings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this saga does pretty well up front in these categories, but fades out quicker than you would in a three-legged race, John. Hey, I'll have you know I've got at least one very good leg. If I understand <laughs> the rules of a three-legged race <laughs> and I have the right partner, I think I could surprise you. Sure, John. Sure. Um, It is time to call the saga thing. Best Bloodshed. Our first category is for all those fans of action and violence who love a bit of bloodshed in their literary arts. That's right. It's the opportunity to celebrate the most fantastical incidents of bodily injury that occur in the sagas. Exactly. And the saga of Gunnar, the fool of Keldegnup, it may have been short, but it wasn't short on bloodshed. Yeah, but we've we've done that. We've done our job. and We've done the difficult task of narrowing it down to just the best of the best. Yes, it's a we dirty think. job, but someone's got to do it. Since this category was so stacked this time around, John and I have each picked three of our favorites. So uh, why don't you go first, John? Happy to. Uh, this first one is just a fun one to get us started. Sure. Let's start with something irrelevant. I like that idea. I, I didn't say irrelevant. I said fun. In okay. the first part of the saga, Helgi and Gunnar attend the games that have been set up by the Thorgrimsons. So far, the games have really just been a way for the Thorgrimsons to assert their dominance over the region, and anyone they don't embarrass personally gets beaten to a pulp by their servant Svart. When Helgi and Gunnar arrive, Helgi tries to stay out of the contest, not wanting to make trouble. 
but both Helgi and Gunnar get pressed into wrestling. First, Helgi wrestles and defeats Jokul Thorgrimson, uh, which is the first time that Jokul has been bested in a contest of strength, and it's done very publicly. Then Gunnar goes in against Svart, and after they've been locked in their struggle for a few minutes, Gunnar asks, So, would you say that you've been using your full strength right now? And when Svart says, Yes! Gunnar grunts, shifts his grip, and lifts and drops Svart on a bench so hard that it splinters Svart's spine. That is the <laughs> end of Svart's involvement in the saga, and it's probably the first time we've seen someone knocked out of a saga with a WWF finishing move. Um, that's you're showing your age there, John. It's the WWE. <laughs> um, also, because <laughs> I don't think the Wildlife Fund is is that interested in uh, you'd be surprised. Finishing moves. You'd be surprised. Yeah. They have a lot of uh, they have a lot of irons and fire. I guess so. So, uh, one quick question though: Are we sure that's the end of Svart's story? Why? What have you heard? Well, uh, there's some revisionism at work here somewhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, We actually got an email about this scene that can shed some light on the subject of Svart's spine. I know we were talking about it uh, and had some questions. Yes. Uh, Yes, an email. Hmm. It came to us from Stefan Bjornsson, uh, who was reading the saga in Icelandic uh, through the Snerpa website. Hey there, Stefan. Yes. Uh, So he writes to tell us two things. First, the Icelandic text for this scene should be translated as the spine got separated. So he concludes from this that Svart must have been dead and can therefore be added to the body count, which I quite like. Right. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, dead or at least paralyzed, right? I mean, separated is definitely more permanent than splintered. Yeah, but there's more, you see. Stefan also mentioned that there's another version of the saga which makes it even more clear. Mm-hmm. In that version, instead of saying that Svart was carried off, it says they carried away the dead slave and carried on with the games. <laughs> well, that's pretty definitive. Yes. So what I what I want to know here is, can we add Svart to the body count? I know it's not the right category. I but- don't know. That sounds like it's edging dangerously close to manuscript studies. Well, there goes the sound effect budget again. You were the one arguing last time against including manuscript variants. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and now here you are suggesting that because of a manuscript variant, we should add a body to the pile. Tell you mm-hmm. what, uh, why don't we sort this out when we get to body count? Yeah, that that is fair. Uh, I think you know what I'm going to be arguing. So you uh, can start yes, ruminating. I think, on. I think I do. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, I'll I'll go into my first candidate, uh, which comes a bit later in the saga. And there's no doubt whatsoever that this one results in the death of the victim, because I'm talking about Gunnar's encounter with Faula and Gala. Uh, Yes, an encounter that didn't end well for Gala, as I recall. It did not at all, no. Uh, So Gunnar is approached by the Troll Sisters as he heads back to camp with the body of a seemingly intelligent bear that he'd killed moments before. Uh, Gala and Faula see him coming and they approach him. And Gala insists that Gunnar hand over the bear. And when Gunnar refuses, the sisters leap forward to attack. Now Gunnar steps to the side and cuts off Gala's outstretched arm, then follows that quickly with a, a nice slice at her neck. Mm. And as her head hits the icy ground, Fala immediately pulls back and begs for mercy. And we all know how that turned out. A uh, little red wine, some some uh, uh, cuddling by the fire, and then a uh, little bounce wow wow. Is that the idea? Well, he had to meet the father first, but yeah, right, sure, exactly. Sure. No, no, no. <laughs> no. But uh, yeah, that's more or less it. Uh, so uh, I mean, it's, Gunnar's encounter with Gala. Yeah, it's a decent candidate, but I think we've seen a lot of decapitations in the sagas. Uh, what makes this one really stand out? I mean, is this where we are now, John? 
A troll woman gets her arm and head lopped off, and you yawn. <laughs> what have we become? Uh, look, I mean, that may have impressed back when we started the podcast, but, you know, decapitations just don't hit like they used to. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, if you're looking for extreme bloodshed, maybe I can impress you with another one. Please do. I'm always up for being impressed. Well, I'll, I'll see what I can do. Uh, so shortly after his encounter with Fala and Gala, Gunnar's exploring a fjord near the glaciers where he and his men were camping, and then he discovers a group of trolls sitting by a fire outside a cave. I see. So you're going from a beheading to a massacre. Well, you weren't moved by Gala's death. Uh, I was guessing mm. you want more blood. So here you go. Gunnar slaughters three troll children, beheading at least one of them, and then he hunts down the parents inside the cave. And he mm-hmm. kills the father with a, ki- a quick stab, but the mother doesn't go down so easily. She awakens as her partner falls out of bed and attacks Gunnar with a huge sword. She manages to wound him severely as they fight, and when Gunnar realizes that his axe isn't quite working, he tosses it aside and just grabs the troll woman with his bare hands. So the two wrestle for a time, and they knock everything over in the house. It's quite the chaotic scene. Right, now, if this were Beowulf, which clearly this echoes, or at least uh, corresponds to, mm-hmm. uh, if this were Beowulf or if it were almost any other saga, Gunnar would at some point gain the upper hand and finish off the troll woman. That's right, but, John, this isn't any other saga. This is Gunnar's saga, and he doesn't gain the upper hand. In fact, he's losing badly enough that he actually calls out for help from Fala. And she comes from out of nowhere and starts hacking away at the troll woman with her short sword, Thrum. At this point, Gunnar is able to slip out from under his enemy, and it's only with Fala's help that Gunnar is able to finish the troll woman off. No, I mean, there's plenty of bloodshed there for sure. Yeah. Um, I like that Gunnar not only gets injured, he's actually on the verge of losing before he gets help from his quote-unquote troll girlfriend. Yes, yes. Uh, that's, that's a nice kind of detail, right? It is. It's a fun moment that subverts our expectations a bit, so credit to the well, author – there, but for for a number of reasons, Andy, because yeah. you know if you think about this, this is a moment also when other saga figures who find themselves in trouble with a troll might call on uh, Saint Olaf uh, True. or on God, right, to aid them. Uh, and there's another subversion there in that he calls on a troll to aid him. <laughs> yes, he certainly does. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting episode. I, I, I quite like that one. But uh, but that's enough for me. I just did two in a row. Uh, let's say it's your turn. What's next? Uh, okay, well, I mean, this one isn't an original, but it's a classic. Okay. Gunnar is forced to wrestle against a Blaumother. Now, this is something of a tradition in Hawkins Court. Uh, we saw yep. virtually the same fight in Finboy's saga. That's right. And on top of that, we're told in Gunnar's saga that Hawkins had used this particular Blaumother several times before to kill men in wrestling matches, mm-hmm. presumably for the crime of being someone the Earl didn't like. Uh, Gunnar and the Blaumother shove each other around the ring for a while, with Gunnar clearly being outmatched in strength. Yeah, I, I mean, this is something of a theme for him. Yeah, I don't know how much shoving Gunnar's doing. His feet, uh, I mean, he's moving his feet as fast as he can to avoid being mm-hmm. thrown over backwards, but I guess he's being pushed in one direction. No, no, that's what he wants you to think, ah. Andy. But he's got an ace in the hole. He's, he knows he's a, what's going to happen. He's got a cunning plan, would you say? He, he, well, not so much a plan as a move born of desperation. There you go. A cunning move born of desperation. Uh, Gunnar allows himself to be driven back to a large rock with a sharp edge, then leaps backward over the rock while driving his opponent's chest down onto mm-hmm. the sharp edge. The Blaumother is, somewhat improbably, split open by the rock and dies. Split in half, right? Uh, mm-hmm. It's a, It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Like you said, yeah, we've, Andy, we've seen it before. But 
Yeah, and point of interest here, uh, speaking of seeing it before, in Finboya Saga, we didn't even include the Blah Mother's death in the Best Bloodshed category. Really? It wasn't even a candidate. Uh, I think we may have given it an honorable mention. Uh, but that saga had much more impressive moments of violence overall. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, there's lots going on. It's like, go back and look at the, listen to the Judgment Next section for that saga. There's incredible stuff happening in there. In this smaller and less packed saga, is Gunnar's execution of his wrestling opponent worthy of a win? I would say it's good. Not great. Uh, for me, it's mm. a bit too similar to the wrestling match in Finboy Saga for my taste, but uh, it's a good candidate all the same. Um, how about this one? I've got one more, and if I'm being honest here, I think it's got a really good chance for the prize. Oh, do you now? Well, yeah. don't prejudice the judges or anything. Go yeah. ahead. Well, I mean, half of the judges already got a mind made up. Uh, <laughs> so, so do you remember uh, Svart? Do I remember Svart, the guy we talked about three minutes ago? <laughs> yes, I do. No. The guy whose spine was shattered. No, no, no. Or no. separated. No, Thank no. Thank you, Stefan. Not, not Svart. Svart. You know. Oh, Svart. Yeah, yeah, of course. The second Svart. Right, the other Svart. Yes. So Svart the Viking is what we're talking That's about. That's right. Okay, so Helgi and Gunnar battle the Viking brothers, Svart and Jokul. Indeed, that's that's the scene. So Gunnar makes the choice to fight them rather than hand over their ships. I, It's a reasonable choice, I suppose, once you're in that situation, but let's remember that he deliberately sailed into the cove where they were yeah. um, set up. He didn't have to interact with them at all. But <laughs> no. once you're in that situation, it's a reasonable response to want to fight. Yeah, I mean, that's Gunnar for you. So yeah. Gunnar and Helgi handle themselves quite well. Gunnar takes on Jokul and Helgi battles Svart. Gunnar finishes off Jokul early on when Jokul's sword gets stuck in the mass beam and he lands such a heavy blow on Jokul's shoulder that it severs his arm, cuts down his side and through his hip. And it comes out on the inside of his thigh. When he realized that he's missing both an arm and a leg, Yokel collapses and dies. <laughs> now, the I'm sorry, act- your argument is that he collapses because he realizes he's lost an arm and a leg. <laughs> I, well, I mean, it's the shock of learning what's happened that gets him. I think it might happen uh, at the same time as the sure. you know gravity taking its effect. <laughs> anyway. So the action then quickly turns to Helgi, who is struggling against Svart. Now Gunnar finds him wounded and exhausted, but still fighting on. Gunnar Mm -hmm. offers to step in, but Helgi refuses. He says, lend me your sword instead. And then Gunnar tosses his sword to his brother, and Helgi catches it in midair and takes control of the fight. Svart gives ground, and Helgi strikes such a forceful blow on the crown of Svart's head that he splits it in two and carves right down through the body until the two halves fall in opposite directions. In opposite directions. And that, my friend, is how you get the best bloodshed judges to notice you. There, There's no denying that that's quality. It's high quality. Um, that's, that's a good one. Yes. Uh, well, I, my last one's a bit of an anticlimax after Helgi's clinic and bisection. <laughs> but Gunnar is also credited with splitting an opponent. Well, he, he split the Blaumaler in two. Yeah, no, but I'm, I'm not talking about that one. I'm talking about with a weapon. Gunnar's final battle, ah. uh, the one in which he kills Orn to preemptively end any danger of revenge from the last of the Thordrimson crew. Well, I have forgotten completely about Orn. Yeah, no, he, well, he's only kind of an afterthought at the very end. Yes. Uh, so that battle ends when Gunnar takes a chop at Orn's head. Uh, here's the description. Orn struck a mighty blow at Gunnar that split through his coat of mail so that it fell away from him in shreds. In the next moment, Gunnar hewed at Orm's helm, splitting his head in two and cutting right through his body down the mm. middle. Orm fell down dead to the ground. Now, that's not terrible. Uh, the mail coat, the head splitting in counterpoint, it's almost mm. a poetry of violence. It's huh. some John Wick stuff. 
John Wick. And just yeah, it's a it's a reference. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> uh, but I think this this fight lacks Helgi's panache. Right, the catching of the sword in mid combat, and the detail that the two halves of Svart fall in opposite directions. Yeah. just elevates that description. Exactly, he's definitely standing in his big brother's shadow this time. I think Gunnar's actions, as far as I'm concerned, are just a repeat of something that was cooler mm-hmm. when we saw it the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I'm ready to just give this one to Helgi. What do you think? I agree completely. I, I love Excellent. it. Excellent. Wow. A, a rare example of us just agreeing on something. Lovely. <laughs> it is. It's great. All it's right. a tribute to Helgi's prowess. Good job, Helgi. Body, Body count. count. This is the category for acknowledging the results of all that bloodshed and violence in the sagas. To pay tribute to the fallen and to occasionally argue over who deserves to be counted among them. Mm. And this time out, the questions are far more interesting than the answers. <laughs> uh, first of all, Andy, how many unnatural deaths are we dealing with? Okay, well, um, the I would say at first glance, the count is pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Um, this author does a decent job of keeping track of the numbers and reporting them. And we have, for sure, 19 humans, mm-hmm. one bear, and seven humanoids, um, which is... A question. If we if we count the trolls, the various trolls that are killed, the two troll parents, the three uh-huh. troll children, and Gala, the giantess slash troll, mm-hmm. seven humanoids. Do we count them amongst the humans? Well, that's we'll, only we'll six. talk about that. We've also got a Blaumother mixed in there. Oh, yes. And the, and the Blaumother. Very good. Yes. And the Blaumother. So we need to talk about whether we're going to include mm-hmm. those. But before we get there, I think we also need to discuss Svart number one and his spine. Mm-hmm. I think there's a good case that... There's corroborating evidence from another version of the saga that suggests, and also if you look at the Icelandic translation, if his spine is broken and separated right. and they carry him off, I, I, I think I think Svart's dead, buddy. Can't we just throw him in there? I mean, look, you're the one who last time was arguing against allowing manuscript variants to count on our on our uh, decision making. Um, I think this is yet another I'm, example, and I'm not saying that I'm against it, but last time I was arguing for this. And you were against no, it. No, no, no. I'm Last just pointing out, was, this is another example of An- the shifting sands upon which Andy builds his no, logic. I, You know, I think it's very cute that you like to do that, John. But what I was arguing <laughs> last time was we don't count extra deaths, things that weren't in the original mm-hmm. version. This is not that. Svart is mm-hmm. attacked and arguably killed in both versions. The issue is he's never said to be dead right. in the first one but has said that his spine is broken in twain therefore right. i think it's a fairly good guess that he's dead i think the biggest problem is that you know we don't really know anything about smart right we don't so he's not important before this fight he's just a guy who travels around and beats people up on the thorgrimson's behalf Right, you know, so we don't really have any sense of him as as a figure beforehand, and then afterward they just drop him out of the narrative. But is that because he's not important as a character, or is that because he's dead? Right. Um, the the problem that we're running into here is that this Svart is violent and deadly. And what do we do with that? Uh, I think we can count him. You think we can count? That was a long way to go. Why didn't you just say we could count him? I wanted to say that Svart was violent but deadly. <laughs> Oh, that's pathetic. Okay, so I'm gonna rev- I'm gonna revise the count to twenty humans, one bear, and seven humanoids. Okay, 
So there's also the matter of the humanoids that we need to resolve. Yes, yes. Uh, This happens every time there are trolls killed in the saga. I mean, yeah, not just about that, although, yes, that, that too. Yeah, yeah. There are, we just went over it, six or seven, six trolls killed in the saga and then the Blaumother. Uh, the problem is that the saga writers are ambiguous about whether trolls are people. I think if you read like Bard Saga, it feels very much like the trolls are people that become sure. trolls. I don't know. It's it's very confusing. Yeah. Well, and in other sagas like Ale Saga, uh, the main character, the, the main family is descended from trolls. And that's yeah. that's made very clear. Well, clearly they can, they can, uh, I don't know if they, well, I guess they can intermarry because there's interest yep. on behalf of the trolls to get involved with the human uh, population. And right. clearly they have relations because we've seen that quite a few times. Well, and well. we've seen people like Halbjorn half troll, right? That there's that idea yeah. that people can be part troll. I think yeah. the problem is, is less about ambiguity and more about the writers are not consistent about it. Uh, sure. Any given saga usually establishes a set of a kind of a set of rules that we can understand, right? The humanity or lack thereof for its trolls. But from saga to saga, or within and across poetry and myth, there's very little sense of an agreed upon status for troll kind. Yeah, you got your ale sagas with trolls who intermarry with other people and seem partly to be established by size and partly by location. Right. It's, yeah. Right. And then we sort of on the other end of the scale, we have something a, a saga like uh, Kaldasinga in which trolls are simply among the wild monsters that the protagonist mm-hmm. faces in the wilderness. Right? There's no real humanity to them at all. Uh, and I think all this makes sense once we accept that trolls are a narrative tool, right? uh, certainly at least as much as they are a phenomenon. Uh, in this case, it's really difficult to make a call because the trolls are established as a family unit with relationships. They have a domestic life. Uh, so that, that suggests a very kind of human understanding of who they are and what they are. But... The motifs involved, the lair invasion, conforms very closely to other narratives where trolls are treated as unambiguously monstrous. Yeah, and that's just dealing with the family. And Fala's sister Gala, I suppose. Uh, but we've also got the Blaumother, who, mm-hmm. well, I mean, the word literally means uh, black man or dark man in well, Icelandic. Right. Now, Anderson's translation of this passage uses black man for Blaumother. And mm-hmm. we've talked before about why I'm not fully convinced by that translation. Yeah, even though it, it's literally what it means, but it misses perhaps something of the context. Right, I think it misses some of the context, and also it misses the implications of that translation for a modern audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, that there are going to be associations there that aren't necessarily intended in a medieval text. Exactly. Uh, Blar just means Blar just means dark. Right? Uh, it can be translated as black, blue, brown, or just dark, uh, mm-hmm. and translators split on whether to render this as black, blue, or dark. Right? That's so you'll fair, get people yeah. talking about wearing a blue cloak, a black cloak, or a dark cloak when they go out to kill somebody. And they're all yeah. it's all translators translating the word blau. Yeah, sure. But either way, this might represent dark skin. Mm-hmm. And we, we've seen in Heimskringla, for example, where Snorri Sturluson describes the people of Africa using mm-hmm. exactly this this yep. term. So you know, the fact that the language doesn't necessarily require a distinction among those darker colors means that there's a lack of differentiation possibly present in the sagas as well. Granted, but that just means we have to look at context clues. Right. Uh, in this case, we have Gunnar himself saying he doesn't mind a wrestling match as long as it's against a human. Yeah, I do like that line. And then when he shows up at the match and sees the Blaumother, he says explicitly that he doesn't want to wrestle a troll. Right? That's a quote. Mm-hmm. He uses the word troll to describe him. I mean, that's 
pretty definitive. Maybe, but I don't know. This saga is using a set of words to describe the humanoids. Mm -hmm. They're called Jotun and Troll indiscriminately, which is quite common in the sagas, but it also suggests that the saga isn't being precise in its language. So calling the Blaumather a troll could be just another example of troll being used as a blanket term for a threatening humanoid thing that I don't understand. Maybe, but let me offer this as a counterpoint. Okay. Uh, when we covered the thouter of Thorsten Bullsleg, Thorsten attacked a household of trolls in a scene that was very, very similar to Gunnar massacring the troll family in this saga. You remember this? Uh, of course I remember, yeah. This is the story that included a troll woman who vomited into Thorsten's mouth oh. and probably made him a shapeshifter. It's hard to forget that story. <laughs> no matter how I try. Uh, well, <laughs> at the beginning of his attack on the hall, before the vomit... Thorsten finds a troll woman asleep in her bed. Uh, I happen to have it here because I thought it might be useful for this discussion. She was both tall and thick-bodied and totally troll-like. She was lying dressed in a silk shift that looked very much as if it were washed in human blood. Her countenance was coarse and black and blue in aspect. The ogress Mm. was sleeping and snored very loudly. It's interesting. It says black and blue, yep. right? So, what, what is the what are the words the saga? I I, I can guess that. For the, but what for the are colors the, the saga is uh, using? So, the colors that it's using are svart och blau. So, in that case, svart is being used for black rather than for its other possible meaning of bane, uh, mm-hmm. which means that blau is being used for a contrasting color, and this yeah. is in the context of describing a troll. I think the idea is that her skin is dark but mottled. Uh, so that's an example of Blau being used to describe a troll and being contrasted with the color black. Or it's being used as a kind of intensifier. Mm-hmm. In other words, her skin was black and dark. I, I'm not saying that Blau can't be used to describe a troll. I'm just I'm just saying that it isn't necessarily a descriptor reserved for trolls. Certainly, except that in this specific case that we're discussing, the figure is explicitly called a troll. Yeah. Be honest with me. Do you really believe any of this or are you just messing with me? I, if I'm being honest with you, it, it's so wide open and so hard to determine <laughs> that I, I just mm-hmm. I, I'm throwing my hands up. I really don't know. And I'm, I'm really interested in uh, we had talked about interviewing someone yeah. about this very subject yeah. who's more of an expert on the in the field of Blaumother studies <laughs> and troll <laughs> studies than than either of us are. The problem is, uh, you know, you're heading off to Iceland. We're, we're committed to getting through Laxdala saga. Mm-hmm. When are we going to squeeze that in? That's yes, where would I do. find somebody who's anything about the sagas in Iceland? <laughs> no, no. It's not an issue of, of who and when can we talk to someone. It's an issue of when would we squeeze that in right. in the flow of the Laxdala episodes. Right. Well, we'll do what we can. Uh, so for right now, my vote is that we have seven dead trolls in total. Mm-hmm. The Blau Mother, we can put in with the trolls for this saga. Okay. Now, whether we're going to count them as part of the body count is a different issue. I think in this saga they count because they are so humanoid. Uh, but I don't intend for that to be a precedent for other sagas. I do think that trolls are different in every saga. But if you feel stronger they shouldn't count, I want them to at least be separa- separated out and listed as a different category of killings. Yeah. So, well, I think. What do you think? Uh, you know, traditionally, haven't we? We usually count trolls uh, as and humanoids, Blaumother and such, in our body count, don't we? I don't I know we know don't count we've been animals. About that. Have we? I don't think we have. We're consistent about so little, Andy. 
It, it <laughs> really speaks fair. to the arbitrary and utterly pointless nature of these judgments, frankly. And and so <laughs> here are the shifting sands of Saga thing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, okay. I I agree with you. I think that they should count. Generally okay. speaking, Great. I think that they should count. Perhaps in, in another episode long ago, I said something <laughs> completely different. I don't remember at this point. But what I do think at this point is it'd be nice to have a few more bodies. So let's go ahead. <laughs> You're just trying <laughs> to pad we, out I, your numbers. <laughs> No, that's not the only reason. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're going to go ahead and say we have a body count of 27, although okay. we can put an asterisk and one next bear. to it if you want to. And one bear. 27 humanoid people, things, and one bear. Great. Who, are we ready to plunge into nicknames? Are we done? No, no, no. I think we do need to discuss the bear. The bear seemed to be sentient. Should we count him, too? Well, he is a bear. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, uh, what we, we can't jump onto nicknames yet because we have to do the BCDM. Oh, right. The BCDM, our body count density measurement. Um, yes. Given that this is a relatively small body count, uh, even mm-hmm. with the addition of the trolls, I can't imagine the BCDM is going to be especially high, even though this isn't a terribly long saga. I'm guessing this is going to be kind of a middle of the pack thing. Yeah, very much so, yeah. it's um, So we had a Hroffenkel uh, measurement of 0. 0.8, 0. Mm-hmm. 0.8, and a rather flexible body count of 27, <laughs> um, which leads us to a BCDM of 33.75, which is, is very, you know, okay. Yeah. Um, and just out of curiosity, I'm I'm uh, calculating the uh, if we didn't count the trolls, it would have been a body count or a BCDM of 25. So hmm. there's very little, flat, you know, movement right, in right. the number there. Um, uh, so either way, it's a middle of the pack. It's not really breaking any records. So we can move on with with a whimper, not a bang. Nicknames. Well, John. Here we are in the nickname section of our judgments. This is where we review the saga's best nicknames and explore their meanings and implications. At least that's what we normally do when we have a saga with nicknames in it. (laughs) Because outside of Gunnar, the fool of Keldegnup, were there any other nicknames in this saga? Well, the short answer is no. But the long answer is no... Well, I think we know who's getting the prize, at least. Not okay, going to be much um, of a conversation here. Let's move on to notable witnesses. No, 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 no. I did look around a bit. Um, oh, before I get sure to Gunnar, I just want to acknowledge Fala and Gala. Uh, Gala and Fala aren't nicknames, right? These are their real names, as far as we know. Uh, and the names probably are not anything more than names. If you're wondering, uh, Gala means to crow, and Fala means to offer to purchase. Uh, so not terribly promising, although Gala does actually turn up as a nickname in the saga of Arman and Thorsten Gala. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, make of that what you will. I will. Uh, and now we move on to the entire list of nicknames, which is Gunnar. Uh, <laughs> Gunnar Keldgnupsifus, uh, the fool of Keldgnup. <laughs> I like how you do that one. Keldgnupsifus? You, you really allied <laughs> it all together. Um, I mean, if we enunciate it all, we get in trouble. If we exactly. slide it all together, Keldknip, I mean, we just can't win. Um, it's the best I can do. Uh, I'm just not. I'm just not there. Uh, this is literally the only actual nickname in the saga, so I don't know that we even need to really go into it, since it doesn't have any competition. <laughs> but what the hell? Yeah. I didn't get all dressed up for nothing. Uh, so we know Keldgunup is just the place that Gunnar and Helgi are from, which is in the southern part of the island. 
Fifu can be used to mean fool in the sense of lacking sense uh, or lacking learning, or fool in the sense of a clown or laughable person, or it can mean a boorish person. Uh, we saw the same word, Fifu, uh, as part of a name in Gisla Saga. Uh, when we learned about Helgi Ingjaldsson, the mistreated man who is widely called Ingjald's fool, Ingjald's Fifu. Yes. Uh, Helgi was treated like an animal by his parents for his mental impairments, and the Fifu was obviously and cruelly intended as an assessment of his mental capabilities. In Gunnar's case, the use seems to be closer to the second sense, with the connotation that Gunnar is a laughable person. Mm-hmm. And that's honestly about as far as I can drag out this category. Uh, so what do you say? <laughs> I was just wondering. I, th- I thought he's getting revved up. This could go on for a <laughs> I, bit. You know what? I can rev all I want, but I got no gas. <laughs> all right. Um, well, let's think about this one. So <laughs> if if I remember, we have uh, Gunnar, yep. the fool of Keldegunnar. Yep. And... You know, Gunnar, I got to say this. It, sometimes it's an honor just to be nominated. <laughs> but in this case, I think you've you've won the prize. Congratulations. Yeah, you're going to make off with it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Excellent. Congratulations, Gunnar, I guess. Notable, notable witticisms. witticisms. Hey, it's notable witticism time. This is our chance to <laughs> sing the praises of the saga writer and celebrate the often understated wit of the sagas. And this is, honestly, another category where Gunnar's Saga is not showing itself to best advantage, I'm afraid. Mm. Uh, There's a bit of dry wit on occasion, but not much in the way of clever repartee or pithy sayings. Uh, We're going to have to dredge through this saga to find a few fairly small bits of compositional gold, I'm afraid. Uh, Andy, (laughs) what'd you dredge up? Well, I've got two for this category, but I want it on record. (laughs) That I was forced to select two by my partner here because I found this saga to be about as witty as a dish rag. <laughs> it, it, it's not that I didn't enjoy aspects of this saga, John. It's just it, it doesn't uh-huh. set up and execute the kind of sharp wit and humor that we see in other sagas. It's just okay. Not great. Tell us how you really feel. Uh, also, what's so singularly unamusing about dish rags? Well, this is I don't tell this to just anyone, but. Uh, a dishrag framed me for murder once. <laughs> okay. And and I did I did tell you how I feel. And, and if you remember, I argued that we should consider skipping the notable witticism category for this saga rather than tainting the pool of winners for this quarter with a substandard entry from Gunnar Saga. But no, you had to insist, and we proceed. So yes, here we go. And so here we are, and you're still complaining. <laughs> you mentioned you had well, two candidates. Do you mind sharing one of those with us? Maybe moving the category along? Wow, wow. Okay, yes. Well, here you go. Uh, but remember, you asked for it. So, <laughs> early on in the saga, a ship full of goods arrives in Iceland, captained by a man called Barth. Now, Thorgrim, the bully chieftain of the region, rides down to meet with Barth and set the prices for all the goods, as bully chieftains are wont to do. Yeah, we've seen that in quite a few sagas. Uh, one of the mm-hmm. leading men of the district, especially a bully chieftain, a bully gothi, will greet incoming trade vessels and try to manipulate prices to their own advantage. Yeah, and they always get grumpy when rebuffed by the captain, mm-hmm. which is exactly what happened here with Captain Barth and Thorgrim. Doesn't Thorgrim throw a fit? Right, He forbids anyone from buying anything from Barth and his crew or even hosting them. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then he stomps off back to his farm, grumbling the whole way. Mm-hmm. Quite a bit of time passes that summer without anyone heading down to the shore to trade with Barth. Right, which, of course, has to be frustrating for Barth. I mean, he sailed yeah. all this way with a ship full of goods. And now Thorgrim has basically locked him out of the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Helgi notices this and decides to invite Barth to come stay with him at his mm-hmm. father Thorbjorn's place. Naturally, Thorbjorn is angry because he's a savvy individual and he knows how this district works. He says, haven't you heard what Thorgrim has ordered? But Helgi just shrugs it off and heads down to the shore and invites Barth to ride home with him. And when they arrive, Thorbjorn is shocked to see Barth there. And he warns that many people will suffer hostility because of Helgi's actions. Helgi just shrugs and responds, you can't provide for everything. And uh, Thorbjorn was right, by the way. Uh, this mm-hmm. sets up the final conflict between Helgi and Gunnar and Thorgrim's sons, Jokul and Grim. But uh, tell me, Andy, you've been setting up this noble witticism for a while now. What's the witticism that you want to recommend for judgment? Now, now, don't you play games with me, Dr. Sexton. You know damn well that Dr. it was Helgi's like casually delivered, you can't provide for everything. That was it. That was it. Huh. Yes, yes, that was it. Don't make me rehash my earlier complaint. You made me pick two. That's one of them. Now go on with your first candidate. I'm sure you've got something better. Uh, Andy, a reasonably well-timed breaking of wind would land better than your first candidate. <laughs> well, by all means, break yours as reasonably well as you can, and I'll vote for it. Now, I think I'll just go ahead with my first candidate. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is also from early in the saga and is also from a conversation of Helgi's. This one is after Helgi and Gunnar have gone to the Thorgrimson's games and embarrassed them publicly. They end up lying low in a cave on the edge of the property that belongs to Thorgir, a family friend. But when Thorgir hears that the boy's enemies know where they are, he rides out to them and tells them that the Thorgrimson's are coming. Gunnar responds, let's attack them, which both Helgi and Thorgir ignore. Now, Gunnar is still thought of as a coal biter at this point Mm -hmm. and not necessarily a clever one. Right, which is part of why Thorgir just continues talking to Helgi. Basically, the adults are talking, right? Uh, He's pointing out that the Thorgrimsons are coming with an overwhelming advantage of numbers. Mm -hmm. Helgi, who doesn't see any way out, says, Well, many a man will bleed from the nose before we brothers are caught. Yeah, well, as we said at the time, uh, not scintillating, but good. But you Um, sent me a listener comment about this line. Oh, yes, yes, uh, Yon Paul. Uh, he often writes in with some really uh, useful information. Uh, but this time he wrote in to tell us, although it sounds relatively mild, the phrase uh, snuteraudu, uh, give someone a bloody nose, mm. is actually a standard tough guy threat, uh, at least in modern Icelandic. It's akin to rearrange his face or knock his teeth in. Oh. So he says it's actually rather quippy and well, deserves thanks, some attention. Yon, that was great. Um, there actually used to be a phrase like that in English as well. Right? It's not used much anymore, but it might be familiar to some of you. Uh, someone who was blocked from getting something he was after was said to have got his nose pushed in. Yeah. So what uh, Helgi is actually saying there is something like, uh, many men will get their faces pushed in or many men will get their faces rearranged if they mess with us. <laughs> it's not bad. Yeah, that that's really a good one, actually, especially once you understand the full implication of the statement. So thanks, Yon Paul, for uh, the helpful comment. Uh, so what's your next one? And please tell me it's better than your first one. <laughs> it, it is, I promise. Any shorter? Hmm. Well, let me see. Well, it starts like this. 
In the beginning, there was a yawning void called Gelungaga. No, 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 no. That's not part of the story. You've gone back too far. Well, but contextually, I think it's pretty important. So just let me connect the dots. So there was this big astral cow, and it liked to lick the salty... Skip to the end. (laughs) Have you the wing? Really? You want to do this whole bit? I can run us through the rest of that scene if you really want to. No need. Here comes my Wesley now. Your Wesley is dead. I killed him myself. Then why is there fear in your eyes? And do you, Princess (laughs) Boakwa? You know, I'm going to stop us right there. (laughs) There's really no logical place to stop doing Princess Bride recitation once you get going. So we're just going to stop. Anyways, look, if you say skip to the end, this is what happens. Uh, Where where was I? Uh, You had just finished the story of creation. And we're about to begin the Age of Man. I think you'd gotten to the part in the story where Gunnar or Helgi Thorbjörnsson were about to say something vaguely amusing. Hmm. I'd gotten that far. Well. I don't, re- I don't recall hoping, that. I'm hoping okay. you are rounding that corner. All right. Well, thank you. I guess I got through all of creation. All right. Well, as I was saying, uh, trouble starts again right after Gunnar and Helgi take on Captain Barth. So you're picking up exactly where you left off with your first one. Well, that's exactly where my real candidate comes from, so <laughs> yes. Um, now, one day, Gunnar decides to ride out and look after his horses. Thorgrim's sons, Jokel and Grim, find out that Gunnar is out all alone, and they ride out to ambush him with 13 other men. Mm-hmm. So that evening, they confront Gunnar as he's making his way home, and Jokel says he's glad that they've met under these circumstances. Right, because the circumstances are that Gunnar is alone, and he doesn't have his weapons or armor with him. Right, although it's said that he does have a big axe with him that his father gave him, but uh, there's that. But he is alone, that's fair, and he he actually doesn't mind the situation. He says, I can't disagree with you, Yokel. And then he looks at the 14 men standing behind Yokel and says, But I suppose you'll be wanting to do single combat. Which, in and of itself, is a uh, you know, kind of a clever line in the right, situation. That's not bad. That's not bad. It's it's kind of funny in in the circumstances. But Yokel smiles as he answers, mm, "I shall enjoy the benefit of having more men." <laughs> and then all of them rush at Gunnar. Of course, as you know, Gunnar defends himself well and even manages to stay alive long enough for his brother and father to come looking for him. Well, I mean, manages. I mean, he kills thirteen guys in that atta- attack. He kills yeah. basically everyone who was there except for Yokel and Grit. Yes, but he handles them pretty quickly on the next page, so they're not long for the world either. Yeah, he does. And then he snuggles up to their sister. It's a very strange sequence of events. It all happens so quickly. Uh, but that's mine. It's the uh, the line from Yokel, I shall enjoy the benefit of having more men. Uh, but now it's your turn. Why don't okay. you bring it home, Johnny? What's your second and final candidate for notable witticism? All right. Uh, my last candidate comes from what I have to say is a very unlikely source. Uh, so a little later in the saga, Gunnar returns to Earl Hauken's court to participate in a wrestling match that the Earl has demanded of him. Now, Gunnar has already specified that he doesn't mind wrestling, so long as it's against a human. A little heavy on the foreshadowing. Just a little. But when he shows up at the match, there are several men holding back his opponent, a trollish Blaumother. The Earl calls out, Stand up, then, and wrestle with that lad who's been brought here for you. And Gunnar, making no move, says, oh, I'm not supposed to wrestle with a troll. And Earl Hauken responds, Well, you're going to wrestle that one. Which, <laughs> I mean, the match doesn't work out well for the Earl or his troll, but 
at the moment, it's a good line. Yeah. Yeah. And it clearly scores a point, given that Gunnar gets up without another word and enters the match. Right. He really doesn't have any choice. I, I, I really never thought I'd be uh, nominating Hauken Sigurdsson for a best witticism. Uh, so, all right. So those are our options. And it probably says something about our eponymous Gunnar that not a single line of his made it into contention. Well, not only is he a fool, he's a man of few words. And not especially good ones, it seems. So yeah. which way are we leaning? Well, Hang on now. Uh, I would be a very bad host if I didn't acknowledge a listener recommendation for notable witticisms here that neither you nor I selected and covered. So Okay. I, I don't know if anything can redeem you as a host, but go ahead. Oh, I see. A listener contribution. Lovely. So what's up? Yeah, well, this one comes from Carrie the Singed, a contributor to the recently launched unofficial Saga Thing Discord page. Is it actually unofficial? I mean, you and I are both on there and interacting with people. I mean, it's the uh, official, unofficial Saga Thing Discord. Okay. Um, and I, I got to say, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I encourage listeners to head over there and get in on that fun because uh, we've got all kinds of channels for discussion. Um, I don't fully understand how these things work, but there's a general discussion channel board. Uh, and there's one for people talking about their own projects. Yeah, like you don't understand. You've you've been participating, so you yeah, clearly but I don't know fully to click on stuff. How. I'm just kind of bouncing around in there and finding things to comment on. I think that's all you got. <laughs> okay. Well, anyways, there, okay. there's also channels for discussion of our episodes. There's a channel for submitting RuneSack questions. There's even a channel for saga-themed memes. Something for everybody. Exactly. And if John can figure it out, kind of, then so can you. You have no idea how true that is. Yeah, well, I think they have some idea, uh, but <laughs> I will say, I also at this point, if you asked me to, I could not tell you how I managed to sign in. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, Carrie the Singed suggested that we consider Gunnar's line during his wrestling match with Svart the Slave, the one that you had gone over a little bit earlier. Oh, so the one where he's been biding his time, letting Svart think he's got the upper hand, and then Gunnar says, are you putting everything you've got into this? Yes, that's the one. And we all know what happens next because, like I said, you covered it in Best Bloodshed. But on behalf of Carrie the Singed, I think we have to consider that line too. It's a, it's a decent one. All right. Well, that means that Gunnar does actually get an entry uh, and it gives yep. us five candidates. Uh, you have – I can't pro- you can't provide for everything and I'll enjoy the benefit of having more men. I had you shall wrestle that one and many a man will bleed from the nose before we're captured. And Carrie offers, are you putting everything you've got into this? Your preference? Mm. I'm so glad you did the review because that that's extremely helpful to me <laughs> at this point. Um, I, I w- I'm really, really feeling you can't provide for everything. You know how much I like that one. Oh man, that's it's such a generic saga line, though. It's I'm kidding, John. I I hate that one. <laughs> There's nothing interesting oh, about it. Oh, good. I was forced into it. I um, I feel like it's it comes down for me between I'll enjoy the benefit of having more men and. Well, you're going to wrestle that one. Yeah. I, I mean, both are really the scenarios. They, yeah, in fact, the all of these are, are driven by the scenario. Yeah. I really like the scene with I'll enjoy the benefit of the numbers. But in terms of a line that hits, um, I don't. I, I really like the, the pithiness of you. You're going to wrestle that one. Yeah. Uh, from uh, Earl Hawker. I also like the novelty of giving a Norwegian ruler notable witticism. Yeah, that's never happened <laughs> that's before. That's probably not going to happen again. 
No. So Earl Hawken may not be good for much. That's but right. he's good for a line in this saga. I say we give him the award. Excellent. Let's do it. Okay. The, probably a one and only time. Outlawry. In our outlawry section, we put the saga's villains and antagonists under the microscope and find out what makes them tick. And after reviewing their various crimes and misdemeanors, we identify the worst of the worst and sentence them to outlawry. And sentences of outlawry can come in two forms. There's full outlawry for those who commit the most heinous crimes, and the punishment for full outlawry is permanent exile from Iceland. Uh, For those whose crimes are a little less egregious or blur the lines of morality enough to make us uh, a little uncomfortable keeping them around, we have the option of lesser outlawry, which involves a three-year period of exile. Well, choosing an outlaw this time is going to be a little more difficult, I think. I don't know about that. What makes you think so? Well, because it's very hard to tell what actions in this saga are worthy of outlawry in the mind of the author. Ah. Uh, Remember, we talked about it in the summary episodes, but Mm -hmm. this is one of those sagas that seems to set aside the rules of the real world and the medieval Icelandic fascination with legal proceedings. Yeah, the world of Gunnar and Helgi exists outside the typical structures and expectations that we usually expect to see in the world of the sagas. Mm-hmm. I think we said a few times, both in the podcast and in conversation while we were prepping for it, that the legal world is almost entirely absent in Gunnar's saga. Yeah, to the point that no one seems to face any consequences for their actions. Mm-hmm. And while that would usually be an observation that could launch me into a commentary on the legal and political context within which the saga was written, I can't even do that here. Yep. Because the saga doesn't fit into any particular time and place in my mind. Almost as if it's written to be timeless, like a folktale. Yeah, I think that that's probably fair and probably does have some explanatory power when it comes to the saga. But I think we're treading into final ratings territory here. Uh, Let's go ahead and wrap up Outlawry and then Thingman. And then we can wax poetic about the saga or tear it down, whatever we choose. Fine, fine, yes. Uh, Although I don't know if I'll have much else to say when the time comes. I have zero doubt you'll manage to go on a bit, even if you have nothing to say. Oh, we are good at that, aren't we? Did I say we? Oh, but yes, we. We're the best at it. (laughs) Really? Okay. Oh, well, so I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking. Uh Uh-huh. Even from the very first chapter of this saga, and I told you about this when we were prepping, I had Thorgrim the Gothi listed as a top candidate for Outlawry and his sons. Yeah, but why? He's barely in the story. I, I know, but my saga training told me, as I read, that he'd be a problem right off the bat. So I listed him and his sons, Yokel and Grimm, before I even knew what they might do, because the saga told me to. Uh-huh, it did, but you prejudged them, and then he wasn't in the saga. Oh, well, you're stretching things a little bit there, but let, <laughs> go ahead. Let me read the opening passage of the, of the saga to you. It says, There was a man named Thorgrim who lived at a place now called Horgsland. He was married and had two sons, one called Grim, the other Yokel. They were overbearing, quarrelsome, and the most unfair men in every possible way. Thorgrim held a Gothorth. And he abused his position, confiscating property, including oxen and horses, from the farmers. He became very unpopular because of this business. Now, John, you tell me that's not a stock introduction to a set of villainous antagonists who usually get outlawry. I can't deny that, but the saga doesn't really do anything with Thorgrim. Doesn't it, though? I mean, it's a very short saga, so there's very little space to do anything with anybody. It says right there that he likes to abuse his power and take property from those who are beneath him. 
Later on, we see him trying to force his will on Captain Barth, further disrupting the business in the district. Oh, boy. And because he's so grumpy and controlling, he's got the whole district walking on eggshells and doing whatever they can to feed into his megalomania and keep him happy. We see that with you know, uh, Thorbjorn when he's upset when Barth shows up. Um, I'm going to say that you're stretching, you're reaching. Uh, stretching? You're reaching? You're you're reading things into the saga in a way that you often criticize me for doing. Uh-huh. Uh, but, <laughs> but fair enough. Uh, he's a bad gothi. Bad gothi. No doubt. Okay. Does he really do enough outside the law to warrant outlawry? Well, that is an interesting question. Isn't the problem with corrupt officials like Thorgrim that they sit in privileged positions that make them almost untouchable by the law? Well, John, I, for one, am not interested in supporting a system like that. You say you want a revolution. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 you yeah, know. yeah, yeah. But you see my point, right? <laughs> yeah, I do. And, John, if you're not happy with Thorgrim, what about his sons? Yokel and Grimm are guilty mm-hmm. of throwing their weight around just as much as their father. And we actually see them in action, to answer your complaint about Thorgrim. After Svart, a slave who's been killing people in friendly wrestling matches, gets bested by Gunnar, they obsess over him and force both Helgi and Gunnar into exile. Mm-hmm. They hide in a nearby cave while these two sons of Thorgrim run around searching people's properties, disrupting the peace in their hunt for the boys who simply humiliated them in front of the district. The very district that they bully. It's not a good not look. Not a good look. Making matters worse, they take 13 men with them to ambush Gunnar while he's all alone. Never mind the fact that they lose that encounter. They're petty, they're sneaky, and they're dishonorable. If you don't want to cut the power off at the head by outlawing Thorgrim, then at least consider outlawing his sons, Yokel and Grimm. Because, John, we need to break the cycle of corruption. I rest my case. We all want to save the world. Uh, uh, here, here. I, I second everything you're saying. Um, I do think there are other people to consider, okay. though. There are more villains in sagas and earth that are dreamt of in your analysis. <laughs> We've got killers, bullies, corruption, would-be assassins, and at least one guy who massacres an entire family. <laughs> Let's start with one of the minor candidates. Uh, Hraven and Thorsten Grisason, who are essentially background characters who eventually become fodder for Gunnar's The Grisasons, really? Hey, I'm trying to be okay. thorough. I tell you the truth, I'm not sure I can make a tremendous argument for them being the worst people in this saga, but I can say that their worst offense is that they're bad people who are lame at it. <laughs> they're introduced as nasty brutes, but as far as I can tell, these two are content to play match in 3D to the Thorgrimson's Biff Tannen. They're just jerks who provide the sycophantic laughter that props the bullies up. Okay. I honestly don't know whether you legitimately wanted to bring these guys up as candidates or whether you Mm -hmm. just wanted to shove a Back to the Future reference (laughs) into this episode because we already did Princess Bride. (laughs) It's a a delightful synergy. Is that it? Well, I mean, that's it for malevolent Beavis and Butthead Grissison, yes. But there's another guy in the Thorgrimson gang who might be a better Mm -hmm. choice. You know, if we're actually interested in applying the law that this saga doesn't seem to care about, Svart, the foreman who hangs out with the brothers, is a brutal man who deliberately hurts and even kills people in wrestling matches for Mm. fun. In fact, before Helgi shows up at the Winter Games, Svart is said to have maimed and killed several people. Now, Gunnar and Helgi put a stop to the games, and Gunnar 
shatters Svart's coccyx with an atomic drop, but the fact is that he's guilty of multiple killings in Iceland. We gotta consider him seriously, Well, I mean, right? I mentioned Svart earlier, but he's really a subset of the Thorgrimsons, isn't he? I mean, he's a tool of their oppression. Um, he's under the hmm. direction of Yokel and Grimm. If he's doing bad things, they're ultimately the ones who should answer for it, in my opinion. All right, maybe so. I'm not sure I agree with that logic, but we'll we'll see. Uh, but before we make a decision, we've got to put one more name forward. Here it comes, people. Gunnar Thorbjarnason is a definite candidate for outlawry. Um, are you going to bother with this? You really going to go through the motions? Oh, I know you don't agree. And I realize that since I'm picking first in this saga, I may be shooting myself in the foot a bit <laughs> here. But there are some real reasons to consider this guy. He does, in fact, kill a total of 16 men in Iceland without ever paying a legal price yes, for it. Yes, but they were all bad. <laughs> okay. But among those corpses are his own girlfriend's mm-hmm. brothers. And then he takes her father's chieftaincy when he <laughs> dies of a broken heart because of the loss of his sons. Okay. A little Machiavellian, maybe. But you did take Snorri Gothi as a thingman once upon a time, as I recall. Oh, Snorri Gothi. And I, I, I got to tell you this. There's no way that, that Gunnar's planned all of this out. All those people that he <laughs> killed are people that attacked him. And put him in a bad situation. He's he can maybe, argue maybe. self defense. But I, I'm I'm still not finished. He also goes off to Norway and murders an entire troll family in their right. home, including the murder by ambush of three children. And then, when their mother is close to gaining righteous vengeance against this home invader for the deaths of her children and husband, Gunnar calls in Fala, another troll. To help kill her and rob her of her revenge. And I would remind you that Gunnar gained Fala's help by forcing her to become an ally after killing her sister in front of her and threatening to kill her if she didn't do as he said. Mm-hmm. I, I know we're on the fence about whether trolls are people, Andy, but this behavior wouldn't be acceptable against a dog or a bear. Oh, and wait a minute. Gunnar also <laughs> killed an intelligent well, bear intelligent. that waited patiently because he asked it to. <laughs> he did. Half of this saga, Andy, is various victims, many of them innocent, silently and fruitlessly crying for revenge as they die unjustly at Gunnar's hands. Oh, that's great. So, with that on the table, what do we think about Outlaw? I got it. I think that was just lovely. I think it was lovely. I am not going to bite on that, but I liked it a lot. I think it was, it was delightful. It really was. Um, <laughs> I mean, one of the problems is that Gunnar's actions against the troll family, uh, whether right or wrong, uh, that was outside of Iceland. So, can we really consider it? I mean, we can take it. It, 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 it speaks to character, it Andy. But all of the people he kills in Iceland are, I think, by the rules of saga justice, uh, those are justified. And they're okay. So, I don't have a problem. I'm not sure about Orn. Uh I mean, Orn is just, he just hunts down Orn and kills him. Right? There's really no justification Yeah, well, I, I think when you when you put that on the scales next to Thorgrim or his sons, Yokel and uh, Grimm. I'm sorry, Thorgrim, whose crime is that he's a jerk? Well, he's a bad leader. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> you want to eliminate Thorgrim, fine with me. Um, but Yokel and Grimm, come on, man. I will say this. Um I think Gunnar is as bad as the two of them put together. No, I don't think he is. So the question is, 
are you suggesting that their crime of what being jerk juniors and ambushing Gunnar is more significant than everything he does to his own wife's family in a culture, remember, that regards marriage as being a, a closely knit contract between the two families. Uh, this is a man who has no brothers-in-law because he's murdered them. Well, that happened before. He doesn't have a father-in-law because his father-in-law died of a broken heart because of his actions, I, Andy. I, dude, I, I hear you, but I think you're you're wrong because the circumstances – the circumstances are, are they're all it all it's justifiable man it, it, there's there's no argument here that gunnar should be outlawed for defending himself against these two guys that had it out to kill gunnar and helgi no i i i can't oh, hear come that on. come no. on um uh, i will say this i do not believe that anything yokel and grim do is more impressive than what gunnar does I will, however, grant you that the murders committed by Svart are less justified even than the ones by Gunnar. But right. he's murdering people in sports. But again, Svart is a tool of the Thorgrimsons. He's not a tool in a wrestling match. He is. Maybe. He's he's out there to do the bidding of his masters. So no. And I'm going to argue. You think they're just on the sideline yelling, sweep the leg, That's Johnny? exactly what they're doing. <laughs> That's exactly right. So what I'm going to argue is because we do have some some issues here. Um, I'm going to argue for lesser outlawry for for uh, for Grimm and uh, his brother Yokel. Can't agree. I will agree to outlawry for Svart, but I'm not going with the brothers. I, I just don't think Wait they do minute. anything so we, that impressive. You're telling me we can't agree on this? I'm telling you that if it's up to me, Gunnar is packing his bags. But I think Svart is a compromise. Dude, if, if Andy, let me put you wise to how the world works. <laughs> the corrupt men in charge never end up paying the price. It's well, always the patsy, the guy lower down on the totem. That's the guy again, who ends so, up paying so the price. So you want to support that system? That's not what Saga thing's about, I'm just, John. I'm just teaching you about how the world works. Saga thing is not about supporting the corrupt system of leaders who take advantage of the little people beneath them hey, and let them take hey, the fall. Forget it, Andy. It's Horglund Town. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness look we got to wrap this up uh i as far does he's just an innocent slave man i don't he's not innocent think, he's a multiple murderer gotta send him out of iceland for that come on man you want minor outlawry for him you're not gonna outlaw any of the thorgrim or the thorgrimsons i just don't think they do anything bad enough or anything worse than the stuff that Gunnar gets up crazy to. You're a crazy man. Okay, okay here's our compromise because we got to end this stupid conversation. Yes, please. You want Gunnar outlawed. Yes. I think that's ridiculous. But if you want to give him some lesser outlawry for his hostilities towards Orn, I'll okay, I'll okay that. But you got to throw in the Thorgrimsons. You want the Thorgrimsons and Gunnar all being lesser outlawed. I don't want that, but it's what I'm going to compromise to. All right. There we go. That's the first time we've ever outlawed three people. I it's believe. it's absolutely ridiculous. I think you're a fool, is what I think. I think I think what this is is a saga in which we are so underwhelmed that if we could, we'd outlaw the entire damn. Saga. I think <laughs> didn't wasn't there something about us not dragging out this section anymore? Let's move on to Thingman. <laughs> Thingman. 
Well, now that we've got that nasty business of outlawry behind us <laughs> and all the arguing and the discord, we can gather around and finally raise a glass to the saga's finer characters. This one's for the heroes, the protagonists, and those who represent themselves well in the saga. And I chose first last time in the saga of the Sworn Brothers, bringing in the excellent Thormod the Poet uh-huh. into my meat hall. And that means you're up first this time, John. You get mm-hmm. first pick. Which characters struck your fancy? And who's going to be drinking with you and your merry band of misfits tonight? Misfits. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. I think I may have tick- tipped my hand a bit in the last section. Uh Did you? Yeah, I know going first often means picking or passing judgment on the saga's main protagonist. Usually that's a clear-cut case, right? Some people, like Henthor or Eric the Red, or more recently, Hor the Outlaw or Thorgir, Havarsan, they're just clearly the worst person in their own saga. Um, In other cases, a single act of appalling consequence can be overshadowed by the full story of the subject's life. Take Ail Scott Le Grimson or Gisli Sirson. Or they can be protected from outlawry by a worse villain in their saga, as was the case for Greta Asmunderson or Cormac Ogmundson. For me, none of those mitigating factors apply here. Gunnar is, slash was, a pretty irredeemable guy in my eyes. His Machiavellian rise to power by marrying the sole surviving heir of a family he'd personally decimated was bad enough. His underhanded use of Fala's loyalty after gaining it through threats and the slaying of her sister and then the murder of the innocent troll children as well, all of it put him out of mind for me. Even if we hadn't outlawed him, I still would not have nothing to do with the man. Fortunately, the saga provides us with not one, but two scions of the House of Keldgnup. Helgi, the older and better brother, is a strong-minded and strong-willed man throughout. In the first half of the saga, he takes center stage, not seeking violence, but not shying away from it when it is needed. In the second half, he provides us with one of the finest bloodshed moments we've seen in quite a few sagas. Throughout, he's a man of moral fiber, protective of his brother, and shrewd when judging their situations. At the saga's end, he marries well and takes up the role of Lord of Keldgnup, while his younger brother gloats over his ill-gotten gains. And Andy, he's a snappy dresser. Yes. I welcome the better son of Thorbjorn into my ranks and will seek to have this saga renamed in his honor. Helgi Thorbjornsson, welcome to my hall. Well, well, well. Helgi's a good guy, I have to say. You know, this this one was a hard one for me to prepare because I knew you were going first. And if I'm being completely honest, I figured that you would be locked into taking Gunnar simply because he's the most accomplished candidate available um he's another fin boy type you know um but he's hardly a fin boy type well there are there that's arguable but i um, chose fin boya i work with fin boya sir he is no fin boya <laughs> well done well done um but you didn't take you didn't take him um he had he been available he would be a logical steal for me but i too would not have taken him Interesting. Hmm. Um, he's, he's a problematic figure. He's he's just not that interesting to me. Yeah. You know, I don't think he adds what I'm looking for to my group of, of thingmen. So uh, the next logical step was Helgi. Now, as soon as you started uh, maneuvering around Gunnar getting outlawed, I thought, oh, there goes Helgi. Helgi's a great candidate, you know. Um, he's 
he's capable. He's more level-headed. He's got that incredible feat of catching the sword and slicing his opponent mm-hmm. in two, like you said. Um, it's good, you know? I, I think Helgi steals the show over and over, over his brother. So did you make the right choice in terms of the two Thorbjarnarsons? Yes, I think you did. But then... When I really think about it, there is another candidate out there that's a little more interesting than either Helgi or Gunnar. Someone I who, I who you're like, choose, and boy, you are really working hard here. Someone who, like Helgi, arrives to help Gunnar out of a jam when he's about to be defeated. Mm-hmm. Someone who, like Gunnar, has superior size and strength. Someone who is quick to forgive when Gunnar's violence affects her own family. Someone who, despite being a troll, comes from a good family with access to lots and lots of gold. That's right, John. I am taking Fala, Gunnar's oh troll girlfriend from the glaciers. Uh-huh. And as much as I like Helgi, I I can't pass up a chance at pulling in a troll woman to take care of business when our two sides clash in that final battle. Fala, <laughs> I am very, very, very proud to welcome you into my mead hall. Grab a barrel of ale and a pig leg. Hell, take the whole pig. It's time to party. <laughs> Excellent. Well, How- after the vitriol of the outlawry section, I'm glad that we both got Thingman we're pleased with. Oh, I couldn't be more pleased. Final, final rating. rating. Okay, it's time. We need to put a final label on this saga, put it to bed, hit it on the head with a shovel, and start digging dirt over it. I went first in picking a Thingman, so Andy, you have the honors. What do you say? All right. Well, what can we say about this saga that we haven't already said or hinted? On the one hand, it's a fun mini saga. It's a quick read. It's got a lot of our favorite saga tropes all crammed into a neat little package. There's the coal biter who emerges as a great warrior. There's the forbidden romance with Helga. There's the wandering sea journey and the encounters with trolls. And then there's the visit to Earl Hawkins' court, complete with a wrestling match against the Blaumother. And it all comes together nice and clean with Gunnar's marriage to Helga and the resolution of all conflicts. There's a lot there to enjoy. Kind of. But... (laughs) (laughs) And now now the switch, right? (laughs) On the other hand, these are all tropes that we've seen in many other sagas time and time again. And they're almost always executed better in those other sagas than they are here in Gunnar's saga. You see, part of the problem is the length of the saga, because it's barely a Hrovenkel in length, and yet the author's trying to fit so much in from all the sagas he's clearly enjoyed that he simply forgets to knit it all together in an aesthetically pleasing manner. One of our listeners on the Discord, uh, Glow the Shallow-Minded, observed in the episode discussion channel that the saga author never invests enough time into any one scene. He introduces a theme or a trope and then moves on so quickly once he's hit the note that he wanted that he never gets around to producing a cohesive and logically developing narrative. So if you want to read a messy saga that's pretty good, I say don't read this one, go read (laughs) Floamana Saga. If you want to read about the adventures of an Icelander with super strength who takes out all his opponents in fantastic style, go read Finboya's saga. If you want a romantic saga that ends happily, go read Vigeland's saga. And if you want one that ends tragically, I recommend Gunnlaug's saga. In other words, John, there's not much to recommend Gunnar's saga, The Fool mm. of Keldegnup. So for all those out there wishing that they had the five-volume set so they could read this one, I'd say... You're not missing much. I'm going to give it a one. 
one. Wow. Yes, sir. That is the that is definitely the lowest either one of us has ever given a saga. It's just a silly it's a silly romp wow. that really amounts to nothing. All right. Wow. I'm I'm stunned. Uh, I I think I can shortcut a bit here because honestly I, I do largely agree with your assessment. Uh, this isn't my favorite kind of saga. As you know, I enjoy the more historically plausible sagas. I, I don't mean the trolls and linguistically gifted bears. That's that's just grist to the saga writer's mill. I'm talking about the nebulous and insubstantial quality of the world this saga inhabits. You said at one point this evening that you don't know when or where this saga is supposed to be, and you think that's a deliberate quality of the saga, right? That it's almost mm-hmm. fairy tale like and I agree with that. There's this problem of Gunnar's saga lacking connection to other sagas, which is a bit disorienting for people who read multiple stories. It might be less of a problem if you're coming to this saga fresh, right, without those preconceived notions about the the shared historiographical world of saga writing. But the larger problem for me is the complete disregard of a legal world or really any world in which consequences exist. It essentially removes the difference that make the sagas so much more than just another epic. The legal consequences and the social consequences of violence are what set the sagas apart from texts that merely celebrate violence. Mm-hmm. That's what gives them their depth, is an understanding of the tragic element of violence. In this saga, break a man's spine in a wrestling match? No problem. Kill over a dozen would-be assassins in a single battle? Water under the bridge. Murder the only sons of the local chieftain in the front yard of their own farm? Sure, why not? Kill the troll champion of Earl Hauken? All is forgiven. The driving force behind most saga narratives is a sense of consequence and inevitability. The sense that the sense that events take a course that they must because of the actions of the people involved. Right? That's not just the Islandia saga. Uh, the best of the King sagas and the Fernolda saga have that same quality. The moment in Hrolf's saga Kraka, when Hjalti wakes Bodvar, I realize this is inside baseball for many of you, but it's a really good saga, you should read it. Uh, Hjalti wakes Bodvar at a, at a consequential moment, dooming the king's army to defeat as Bodvar's bear spirit vanishes from the field. That moment feels like the culmination of threads woven through the entire story. It makes sense, even in a story built around fantastical creatures and impossible warriors. Very little in this saga makes that kind of sense. There's there's a kind of experiment going on in the story, I think. This text, which is one of the youngest of the sagas and thus has a plausible claim to actually being a composed saga, seems to be playing with the conventions of saga writing to try to create something new. What it actually creates is something that we call a pastiche. I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, other sagas do have that quality, but they have it without feeling like this like a result that is less than the sum of its parts. I appreciate Pagani's argument that we can learn a great deal by closely analyzing this saga and thinking through its ideas about sagas in the literary past. I do agree with that. But I can produce cogent analysis of what the survival of reality television means for American televisual art and still think Married at First Sight is a streaming heap of shame dookie. Recognizing this saga's worth as a subject doesn't mean celebrating it as a piece of art. As you said, it's not without its charms. I mean, I wasn't blowing smoke with my Thingman choice. I really do think Helgi is quietly one of the more laudable characters we've seen in a while. The fact that I don't like Gunnar doesn't mean that I don't find him interesting or compelling as a figure. 
And reading against the text, there is a certain kind of act one of Richard III thrill to seeing how Gunnar probably accidentally slides into the power vacuum he's created in the district. And I'm almost always interested when a saga deploys the Cinderella storyline, as this saga definitely does. But I cannot recommend this as a starting point, and I think it's frustrating if it's not your starting point and you know what to expect from a saga. I would only suggest reading it to people who are already steeped in the literature, can appreciate Gunnar's limited charms for what they are, and are on a completionist bend to read all the sagas. In that case, it's absolutely worth your time. But I'm not going to go as low as you, but I am going to give this saga a 3.5. It is, it is not a saga I'd want to begin with. It is not a saga I'd recommend. It's not a saga I would assign. Uh, but it's not without its pleasures. John, do you know that you, you scored – so one of the reasons I ended up giving it a one is because I went back and looked at some of our other ratings. Yep. And we gave Floamon a saga. Yep. A like a two. I gave, Really, really low scores. Yep. I, I think I gave it a two. There's no way that this saga is better than Flo Amana Saga. I, You're crazy. I think if you go back and look at Flo Amana Saga, what you find, our frustration was that there were so many excellent narrative concepts that went nowhere. This saga yes. shoots lower and misses, but there isn't that frustration of, oh, it's going to be so cool, and then it's not, over and over again. <laughs> I think that's what, I think by the end of Flo Amana Saga, we were very frustrated with that quality of the narrative. And we probably punished it a little harsher than we should have. Yeah, I think so. I, I really think we did. Because, um, yeah, I wouldn't I, – I would have scored this a little higher if our other scores right. were a little I, higher. I try not to think about what I've scored in the past. I'm a, I'm a yeah. man of the present and the future, Andy. Well, I think that's fair. But if I'm thinking about all the sagas that we've read, mm-hmm. um, and to, to me, at, at the very bottom of that are things like Flo Amana Saga or Thorstein the White. I, mm-hmm. Just not a saga I particularly cared for. Um, this one, boy, there's, there's just not a lot to to recommend it. So why would it score uh, a 3.5, which suggests that read this and you might enjoy uh, quite a bit of it. Andy, mm, nah, nah. Andy um, you seem to be suggesting with a one that it is impossible for any piece of writing to be worse than this. <laughs> I would argue that that is also perhaps an extreme view. <laughs> I well that that's fair. I, I think that's fair. Uh, but in my in my grand list of sagas, this one is is such a, a a bad imitation of what we love about the sagas that I think um, for me I, I need to make a statement here, and I'm going to stick with my well. Word. You do that. You feel free to stick it wherever you want. Uh, <laughs> all right. So that's a uh, three point five from me and a one from Andy for a total score of four point five for Grinnar Saga, which I believe ties it for bottom. 4.5, I think, is the lowest combined score we've given to any saga. Uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll review that line. and see. Yeah. Uh, that wraps it up. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, the third quarter of our troll through the sagas of Icelanders is now over. That's right. Yes. Eight and a half years in and going strong. It was supposed to be like a two-year project. <laughs> no, no, oh, come on. You wouldn't have it any other way. Eh, let me try it the other way and I'll let you know. Uh, So we'll be recording the third quarter court in a week or so. Um, And I'm going to say here for the record that I'm hoping that Andy and I will both be mature uh, and will make our cases uh, without with respect for one another as scholars and friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, uh, most of the voting is actually going to be done by you folks. Uh, We will posit uh, we usually choose what five candidates out of the 10 sagas. 
um, and then put up what? polls people to vote on. Uh, oh, Amy, yeah. Where will that those polls be happening? That is how we do it. Um, <laughs> well, given that we haven't done one in five years, um, I'm going to have to re- revisit the technology options and, and see what's available. Uh, but they're typically housed on our website, sagathingpodcast.wordpress.com, and then distributed through our social media. So go ahead and follow us on Twitter, where we are SagathingPod, or Facebook and Instagram, where SagathingPodcast, or uh, follow the invite that we put on those places for um, our Discord. Um, you'll know what, what, what to vote for when it's time. Um, I'll have it figured out by the time we record the quarter court <laughs> review episode and uh, I'll include the info then. Yeah. Uh, and in the meantime, word on the street is that we'll be posting the long delayed saga brief on drinking in the world of the sagas. Uh, yeah. Probably as something to enjoy while we await the results of the polls. Yep. Uh, and then after that, we'll be off and running on Lockstella Saga, which I've already been doing a bit of reading for. And uh, speaking of things that have changed, the scholarship on Lockstella is very different from what it was last time I looked. Which was, I assume, in grad school? Yeah, yeah, oof, probably uh, 16 or 18 years ago, right? I mean, a long Man. time. Wow. Wow. Well, the clock is ticking. Uh-huh. Um, in the meantime, thanks, as always, for taking this trip along with us. Uh, Gunnar Saga was a strange, less than satisfying one, but I'm sure we've got stranger things still to come. It's not a threat, it's a promise. Yes, we'll be back soon, everyone. Until then, thanks for listening. Bye for now. Um, how long do you think outlawry will take? Um, a while, because we're probably going to argue. Yeah, okay. <laughs>